So we're continuing uh, our study this morning in the book of 1 Peter. So I invite you to turn to uh, page 21 in your study and turn to the book of 1 Peter. And uh, I'm going to start reading in chapter 1, in verse 22. And I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 3. You're welcome to follow along on the screens as I read. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For... All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies... Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now, when I uh, came to faith in Jesus Christ as a sophomore at Presbyterian College in Clinton, South Carolina, when I came to faith in Christ, it was through a student a fellow student at PC who invited me to come to Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It was a, a large group that met on Thursday nights on campus, and, and he would invite me. He was so faithful to invite me every week. Come to FCA. Come to FCA. And every week I would say, I'll be there. <laughs> and I'd never go. Listen, if you have a coworker or a friend or a family member and you've been inviting them and inviting them and inviting them and they haven't shown up to church yet, don't give up. Don't despair. Pray for them. My friend prayed for me. He prayed for me every day, every day that I would say yes to his invitation and I would come and see Jesus at FCA. You know what happened eventually? I did. And when I walked into that room... I saw Jesus in the love that those students had for one another and the love that they expressed to me. I was the biggest sinner on the campus of Presbyterian College. I'm not exaggerating for effect. I was the least likely person to come to faith in Christ. And yet God in his grace let me see love. All the things that I had been searching for all my life, he let me see it in a group of students, a group of ordinary followers of Jesus who just loved each other and loved me. 
And it just drew me to consider what Jesus Christ had done for me on the cross. It drew me to consider what it meant that Jesus rose from the dead. It, it proved that there was something about Jesus because I could see it. I could see it in the way they loved one another. Francis Schaeffer um, many years ago, wrote a really little book called The Church at the End of the 20th Century. And he spoke prophetically of what the church would need to be and what the church would need to ask the Holy Spirit to help them with in his day. And it's every bit as true today as it was when he wrote it. Here's what he said. I'm convinced that in the 20th century, and in the 20th, 21st century too, people all over the world will not listen if we have right doctrine, the right polity, but are not exhibiting community. If we stress the love of God without the holiness of God, it turns out only to be compromise. But if we stress the holiness of God, without the love of God, we practice something that's hard and lacks beauty. Our love will not be perfect, but it must be substantial enough for the world to be able to observe. The world has to see it. We're studying the book of 1 Peter week after week because we want to equip you to be able to follow Jesus in a culture that is increasingly hostile to our faith. And if we're going to live for Christ, by Christ, in the midst of the world that we find ourselves living in today, then it's more important than ever that we begin to be and continue to be the type of community that's enabled to love one another deeply, with endurance, to the end, for the sake of Jesus. Now, this morning, what I want us to do as we study this, these verses from 1 Peter is I want us to answer three questions in pursuit of one point. The point is this. A follower of Jesus has three great loves. Now, in pursuit of that one point, that one truth, I want to answer three questions. And the first question is this. If we're going to love, where would we learn to love? Where would we learn to love? The second question is this. Who do we learn to love? And the third is, where do we find the power to be able to love? So where do we learn to love? Who do we learn to love? And where do we find the power to be able to love? So the first question, where? Where are we going to go to learn to love? And the answer is the Bible. <laughs> The answer is the Bible, and the Bible is described in these verses from 1 Peter in a variety of ways. The first way it's described is in verse 22, since you have in obedience to the 
truth. The Bible claims for itself to be truth. True truth that's true for everyone, everywhere, all the time. The Bible makes that claim for itself, and I believe that it proves that claim through its proven power in the human life. It's proved its power in my life, and it'll prove its power in your life, too, the power of truth. Now, when I was not a Christian, my relationship to the Word of God was like this. The Word of God was apart from me. It was separate from me. It, it was there. It was all around me. Its truthfulness was still true, but it wasn't in my life. When I came to faith in Christ, my relationship to the Scriptures changed, and I became obedient to the truth. I placed myself under the authority of God's Word. So now the Bible is truth in my life. But you know, there's things that I still read in this book, and they rub me the wrong way. They're hard. They confront me. They convict me. They show me my sin. They showed me my needs. There's things in this book that are still hard for me. But you know what I don't do? I don't change my relationship to the authority of the Bible. I don't say to the Bible, well, Bible, now I'm going to have authority over you. And I'm going to pick and choose which parts of this book I appreciate, like, and will follow. And which part of this book I will... Meh. No. I force myself to be under the authority of the truth of the Bible. We believe the Bible is the word of God and has the right to command our belief and our action. We believe the Bible is God's word. It's truth. It's true truth. Now, there's many ways that I could tell you to help you begin to believe more that the Bible is truth, but let me just give you one this morning. One reason that I believe that the Bible is true truth is this. The Bible, when I read the Bible and I look at the world around me, What's described in the Bible fits with the reality I see in the world around me. It, <clears throat> when I read the Bible, the Bible says that man is made in the image of God. And when I look at the world around me, I see people who are capable of amazing, creative, beautiful things. I see people who matter. I see people who have rights. But you know what else? The Bible says that man is scarred by sin and in need of a savior. And when I look at the world around me, I see, yes, man is made in the image of God, but he's scarred by sin and in need of a savior. And when I see 
the brokenness all around me. The Bible fits with reality. It's truth. When I place myself under its authority, it has the right to command my belief and my action. So the Bible is truth. The Bible, secondly, is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. It's the Word of God. You say, I would love to hear God speak to me. Well, you can. Open His Word. It's God's Word to you. It's God speaking to you. It's living and enduring because the source from which God's word comes is living and enduring. The Bible is living and enduring because God is living and enduring. Therefore, if you don't believe the Bible, Martin Luther said this, the Bible is alive. It has lips. It speaks to me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. It has feet. It runs after me. Now look, if I, for some crazy reason, in just a moment of weakness and desperation, decided, you know, I need a little bit of extra cash. I think that I'm going to try my hand at robbery. And so I go, and I get my I hide out in a place where I think I can find somebody to rob. And I come to that person, and I pull out a knife, and I say, give me all your money. And they look at me and say, oh, so glad you only have a knife. I don't believe in knives. I don't leave and get a gun and then come back. No. Someone says, I don't believe the Bible. That's okay. You don't have to believe the Bible. But are you willing to consider what it says? Are you willing to read it? Are you willing to listen to it? Are you willing to take it in? Hudson Taylor is one of my missionary heroes. And Hudson Taylor went to China. And in China, he met in one of the villages in inland China, he met a man who refused to believe the Bible. And Hudson Taylor said, well, have you ever read it? He said, no. He said, well, why don't you ask God to help you understand the Bible and read it for yourself and see if you do not see in it true claims and see if you do not hear from it the very words of God. The man did. And he became a Christian. And everyone in that village in inland China became a Christian through his witness. Listen, the Bible is God's word to you. If you don't believe it, take it in. Give it a try. See if it doesn't have lips that speak to you, hands that lay hold of you, feet that run after you. It's the word of God. Then it's also the word of the Lord. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Listen, the Bible is God speaking to man, but it's about Jesus Christ. 
It's to us, but it's about Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. It's the word about Jesus. The Bible is good news because the Bible is about Jesus. And so on every page of Scripture, we open the Bible to see Jesus, the living word in the pages of the written word. We ask the Father, Father, help us see Jesus. We ask the Spirit, Spirit, help us see Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. It's the word about Jesus. And lastly, the word is pure milk. Now, I'm not a great parent. I mean, I, and I definitely wasn't a great parent when my kids were like babies. I mean, that was hard. I'm 6'3", my baby, little babies are six pounds. They were so small, I really thought I was going to hurt them. But I'm not a great parent, but I did know this. Babies don't drink Diet Coke. They drink milk. It is perfectly suited to help their little bodies grow. Now, I can enjoy Diet Coke, and you can enjoy Diet Coke, but babies... They need spiritual, pure milk, and it's the same for us. We need the milk of God's word. Now, Paul, in his letters, will use infancy as a stage in a Christian's development. That's not the way Peter uses it. Peter uses infancy of all of us. At whatever stage of your spiritual life you find yourself in today, you're always an infant in need of God's word. Now, when you read Paul, you'll see that we move on from infancy to childhood to adulthood. But here, Peter's saying, listen, you need God's word all the time. You need to be feeding on God's word. Why? Because God's word is perfectly suited to help you grow. In whatever stage of the Christian life you're in, you need the pure milk of God's Word. Now, how do we get it into us? Well, it's preached to us. It's preached to us. We hear God's Word preached. Now, that happens here on Sunday morning. And it can happen when you listen to the radio or you follow other preachers and their podcasts. That's all good. But you do know what else? You need to be preaching God's word to one another. We're all proclaimers of God's word. Now, I'm uniquely trained and gifted to preach God's word on Sunday, but you all have a part to play in preaching God's word to one another. You all can be proclaimers of truth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, says this. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother, man, as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. We need to have God's word preached to us Sunday after Sunday, 
but we need to be preachers of God's word to one another on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Because every single one of our hearts leak. I drive a Honda Accord. My Honda Accord has about 120,000 miles on it. Pretty soon, I'm waiting, pretty soon, that rear main seal is going to start leaking. It's happened in every Honda that I've ever owned. And once that rear main seal starts leaking, what do I have to do? I have to keep pouring oil in the top because it's always coming out the bottom. Our hearts are that way. Our hearts leak. And so we desperately need the help of others to be pouring God's word into us, to be pouring the gospel into us because it's always leaking out. And so put yourself in a community of people and take upon yourself the responsibility of helping one another. You're all deputized. Be preachers, preachers of the word to one another, opening the Bible and helping one another solve the problems of life with truth, the word of God, the word of the Lord. It endures forever. It's living and active. It's pure milk. So, where do we learn to love? We learn to love through the Bible. Who do we learn to love? Who do we learn to love? Well, if you go back to verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth, we learn to love Jesus we go to the Bible, and the Bible shows us Jesus' plan for our lives, and we say yes in obedience, and when we say yes to obedience, we're obeying Jesus in love for him. We're obeying Jesus not to be loved by him, but because we love him and he's loved us. Obedience is Jesus' love language. Jesus said in John chapter 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, when we love Jesus, we'll obey him. So we love, we learn from Scripture to love, we learn to love Jesus. We learn to love one another. We learn to love one another. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Now, Peter says our love should be, first of all, sincere. That means without hypocrisy. It means that we don't love one another well here on Sunday morning, but then blow one another off during the week. It means that we are the same in love for one another as consistently as we possibly can be, and how do we do that? Well, we are called to be fervent in our love, sincere without hypocrisy, and then fervent, literally not going through the motions, not going through the motions. So no hypocrisy, no going through the motions in our love for one another. Is it rubbing? Is it hard? Yes, of course. 
but that's the means that God uses to make us more like Jesus. Of course it's hard to love one another with sincerity. Of course it's hard to love one another with zeal consistently. Of course it is. That's why we need Jesus. We love Jesus. We love one another. We love the lost. Peter, in chapter 2, verse 1, says we're to put aside malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. What kind of people, listen, if we started living out there the way we live in here, how many opportunities would we have to share the truth of the gospel with lost people? A lot. Because we would stand out. Listen, do you think that if you lived in the marketplace without deceit, if you told the truth, as often as you had the opportunity, do you think you'd stand out? Yes. You would have incredible opportunities to tell other people about Jesus and to love lost people if you lived out there the way we live in here. Without envy, without slander, without deceit, without malice, without hypocrisy. We love Jesus. We love one another. We love lost people. Now you see why we have the third question. How, where are we going to find the power to be able to love like that? Well, Peter tells us, chapter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. There was a time in my life where the only operating system that my heart could boot up was the heart of flesh. A heart that was self-serving, self-pleasing, self-glorifying, self-honoring, made it very difficult to love. You know, life on a world with 7 billion people is really difficult when all 7 billion of us really have our own interests in mind. But you know what happened in my life? I was born again. The Holy Spirit came and gave me a new operating system. A new way of living was born in my life, and I began to have love. And on top of my love, born of the Holy Spirit came joy and peace. And patience, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and kindness, and goodness, and self-control. The operating system was a package deal. It all came by the Holy Spirit in my life. And that born-again operating system taught me to say no to iOS and say yes to Jesus and the work that he wanted to do by the Holy Spirit to the glory and praise of my Heavenly Father. How about you? 
You see what the Holy Spirit does when a new operating system comes into our lives. The first thing it does is it brings us salvation. Salvation. Look, chapter um, 2, verse 2. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, it, uh, so that you may grow in respect to salvation. What does that mean? It means that God does a work for us. That Jesus Christ has done something for us that we can't do for ourselves. Salvation is this. God saves sinners. The gospel has bad news. We're all sinners. We've all missed the mark. We've all come short of the glory of God. That's the bad news of the gospel. But the good news of the gospel is that God saves sinners. God has done everything necessary to save you. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He lived the life that you should have lived. He died the death you deserve to die. On the cross, Jesus Christ paid the full and awful penalty that your sin deserves, that my sin deserves. And when he rose from the dead, he proved that all sin, past, present, and future, had been paid for. And there was nothing hindering us from coming to faith and forgiveness and righteousness. And then the Holy Spirit gave us eyes to see our sin and eyes to see Jesus. And we ran to Jesus. Have you? Have you transferred your trust to Jesus Christ for salvation in the gospel. He's offered to you. Eternal life is offered to you in the gospel. God saves sinners. How do we learn to love? When the gospel moves into our lives, the good news that God saves sinners. And then he says, you have tasted, verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. See, the gospel isn't something that we can just see outside of us and evaluate, maybe appreciate, maybe consider, maybe think about it. It's not something that we ascend to its truth. No, the gospel is something that we take into the center of our life. We taste it. We chew on it. We bring it into the middle of our life. We say, yes, Jesus, you are the most good tasting thing I've ever had in my life. Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? Oh, you didn't deserve his love, but you received his love. You can't run far enough, fast enough to get away from his love. If he's going to love you, he's going to love you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you have done that makes him love you less. Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? That he isn't treating you as your sins deserve. That he's chosen to treat you with the kindness and love of a Savior named Jesus. See, when the gospel moves in, 
When the Holy Spirit moves in, he gives us a new operating system. When Jesus moves in, he saves us, not by the good things we've done, but through what he's done for us. When the gospel moves in, we taste his kindness. That's the power that enables us to love. So what do we do with this love? What I want you this week is to cultivate your three great loves. Why cultivate? Well, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Entropy abounds. We are all fading. It's easy to see our our three great loves. When we first come to faith in Christ, when I first became a Christian, the three great loves were written large over all my life. But you know, over time, it fades. We just moved into a new house, and there was a period of time from the time we moved into the house to where we could get the reclaimed water turned on. This is a thing, apparently. And so there was a season, like, you know, not long, maybe a couple weeks, when the reclaimed water wasn't working. You should know what wasn't happening? No water on my grass. You know what happened? It turned brown. And every day I'd walk out, and I was consistently reminded that I live in a fallen world where the grass withers. Entropy abounds. So it has, our lives have to be cultivated. We have to cultivate. We have to water. We have to water our life with Jesus. We have to cultivate our love for Jesus. How do we do that? By learning to abide in him. We learn to love Jesus by abiding in Jesus as we spend time with him. Now, every week, we give you the study And the study is intended to help you make it a habit of spending time with Jesus. Why? Because we want your heart, your life to be cultivated in an abiding life with Jesus. Because Jesus says if we don't abide, there's no fruit. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do A few things? Nothing. Oh, to abide in Jesus means that we learn to spend time with him. And listen, tomorrow morning, get up and spend time with Jesus. Grab your study. Open it up. You'll find out tomorrow we're starting a new book of the New Testament, the book of Romans. Jump in with us. Begin to read. You say, four days a week, why not seven? I mean, aren't you all serious about God's word? Of course we are. But you know what I found in my life? When I tried to start reading the Bible seven days a week, it didn't take long before I missed a day, and then two. And then I got so discouraged, I gave up. So listen, take a step. Open God's word four times this week. Spend time with Jesus. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord in Scripture, you're going to want more. Start with four. Let the Holy Spirit make you want more. And then go get it. Go get more. 
But start by building your life, cultivating in your life an abiding life in the Word of God, spending time with Jesus to cultivate our love for Him. Then, loving one another. How do we cultivate a love for one another? This is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. When we spend time with Jesus, we let Him love us, and then we're enabled to go and love one another in the body of Christ. Did you know that in the New Testament, more than 50 times the phrase one another is found? Now listen, small groups are not the only way for this to happen. Not by a long shot, but they're a way that it can happen. And they're a way that we have chosen to use at Good News to provide you the opportunity to love one another. Stepping into a small group, listen, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to experience biblical community. But boy, it sure is a good step. It won't hurt your sin-sick heart one bit. When you experience the love of Jesus and you step into a small group and begin to love one another, you're cultivating the habit that Jesus said would mark his disciples. By this, all the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And as we spend time with Jesus and we spend time with one another, as we cultivate that abiding life in worship and small group, Jesus Christ made a promise in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. We can't help but share what we've learned. We can't help share our loves with the world around us. We can't help but have Jesus stick out for all the right reasons. Listen, we're not a holy huddle. We are here to be a holy people in the harvest for Jesus. We're here to be a people who need one another. We're here to be a people who need to use our gifts to serve one another. We're here as a church for the lost world around us. Oh, have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? Then let him keep loving you, and as he loves you, you go and love the lost people around you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your amazing love for us. That you, in great cost to yourself, knowing that we could never do anything to save ourselves, you came to seek and to save that which was lost. Holy Spirit, Would you speak to every person here? Would you speak to everyone watching online? And would you give each of us a clear sense of what you're inviting us to in cultivating in our lives these three great loves? Holy Spirit, would you speak now?
If you're here this morning and what you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you to is putting your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord for the first time, then won't you say yes to that invitation? Won't you say yes to that drawing? Won't you say to Jesus, Jesus, I admit I've sinned against you in many ways and I am sorry. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. You offer me forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus, I receive you as Savior. I follow you as Lord. Come into my life and help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, I pray that as we conclude this service, you would send us out with joy to love you, Jesus, to love one another and to love the lost, all to the praise of your glorious grace. For I pray in Jesus' name.